Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Thursday, May 13th, 2021. On today's episode, we're going to discuss what we've been up to at the water cooler. This is Slash Film Editor-in-Chief Peter Soretta, and joining me on today's podcast is Slash Film Managing Editor, Jacob Hall. Hello, hello. Weekend Editor, Brad Oman. Hey, that's me. Senior Writer, Ben Pearson. Hey, what's going on? And Writer, Squadron Bowie. Hey, everyone. And Chris Evangelista. Hello. Okay, let's jump into it. Let's talk about uh, what we've been doing this past week. I've actually been up uh, to a bunch of stuff. First of all, I got a new camera that I've been playing around with. I, I got the Insta 360 One X2, which might be the worst name for a camera. Like, why why have it be One X2? Why not just be like two? I don't know. It, it, uh, anyways, so this is one of those 360 cameras, which uh, you know came out. I I think it was like a big uh buzz about it a couple years back when vr became a thing because then you could shoot in 360 and watch it in vr and then you know facebook and youtube allowed you to upload 360 videos where you could you know pan around and look wherever you wanted to but honestly that's not really a great (laughs) viewing experience like I, i really believe that you want uh some kind of directorial eye that's pointing you in certain directions to look at certain things and not like you know the the craziness of looking all over uh but i did see some people using these cameras uh they're kind of like action cameras kind of like gopros and the interesting thing is is you don't have to output the footage as 360 you can actually use these cameras to shoot in real time and then later while you're editing choose the camera angles that you want out of the entire range of the 360 degree sphere. And it, it does allow you to do these like cool things where uh, I don't know how to describe it, but it almost looks like there's a floating camera. That's like, it looks like there's a drone following you like a video game. And uh, there, there's some cool shots you can do with it. I uh, went to the annual passholder reopening of Knott's Berry farm last week. It, I think it reopens officially next week sometime next friday and uh they give annual pass holders two weeks uh before they actually reopen and i went there with this camera and we played around with it a bit on we used it on 
the log ride. We used it on some a roller coaster on a uh, they have this like um, river rapids ride. And we posted the footage, not saying like, oh, we're using this new camera for these like pieces. But almost all the comments were like, how do you have a drone following you around while you're on a moving uh, a theme park ride? But I, I'm really impressed with the footage I, I was able to get out of this. I, you know, I purchased this. I didn't. It's the 360 did not send this to me. This is not sponsored. Uh, ben, I know you are like the other person here that likes to record your adventures when you when you go on vacation and you, you do GoPro stuff and you do drones. Have you ever gotten into the 360 cameras? No, and I haven't even really seen. I feel like I saw maybe one or two clips uh, a couple years ago, like you were talking about when this was like first, I guess, coming onto the market or something. But I haven't really seen people use this lately. But then again, I don't really consume a lot of YouTube content. So maybe it, it is having some sort of resurgence. I'm not sure. Yeah, I, I'm not sure if you have your phone in front of you. If you could go to my Instagram, I, I, I just want to look at the 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 last photo I posted on Instagram, it's me going down the log ride. And it's a, it's a clip of that. I took out of the video. And yes. This I'm, is, I'm looking at it right now. I see it. Wow. Yeah. Weird. Doesn't it look like the <laughs> the camera is floating in space and like everything. I, I mean, I made it distorted like that. You can choose to make it more realistic. Huh? Yeah. And it doesn't even look like you're holding anything. That's weird. Yeah, the, it, it had a like a, I want to say selfie stick because selfie sticks aren't allowed in park. It's had a grip that didn't extend that I was holding, and uh, it erases it from the the footage. Huh. Like, I didn't do anything, so it's I don't know. I, I, I'd recommend it to you, like for your next whatever your next adventure is, probably next year sometime. Yeah, who knows? <laughs> yeah, uh, check it out. It, it's a, it's a really cool thing. Um, but yeah, uh, I'll, I'll put a link in the show notes if you want to check out that Knott's Berry Farm video we did. Uh, but we, we also went on, uh, they had the new Berry Tales Return to the Fair ride. So Berry Tales was this ride that was in Knott's Berry Farm in the 70s and 80s. This is this classic animatronic dark ride. It was beloved. It went away when Cedar Fair kind of purchased the, I think it was Cedar Fair. Was, someone purchased the company and kind of made it into this roller coaster theme park. They got rid of like, some stuff oh, some of the the fun like the uh <laughs> the more disneyland ish kind of uh sections and parts of the the park and uh you know they're they're kind of going back in that direction so, so they they got rid of uh the iron reef ride and they have now put in a i don't want to say it's a remake it's a new version of berry tales and this one is takes the toy story midway mania formula where you have a in this you have a jar of boysenberry jam that you are shooting boysenberry jam at these pie thieves who are from the original who are like these uh this wily bunch of coyotes this family of coyotes and they're trying to steal the the boysenberry from the bears and it, i don't know it, it was just a lot of fun i'll put a link to that in the show notes but uh yeah I'm, I'm happy to be back in theme parks and having fun uh and playing around with this new camera which I would suggest everybody check this. I am so impressed with the footage that came out of this camera. I'm just like, it's not something I would recommend everybody get. And it's not something that you'd want to use for everything. I wouldn't vlog with this camera because it takes a lot of work and post to, you have to keyframe in where you want the, the, the frame of the camera to be. And then you got to render it. So it takes some extra steps. But I'm just really impressed by the Insta360 One X2. Jacob, what have you been up to? 
Yeah, I've been doing a lot of interviews recently, and a lot of them can't run for a little while. But uh, one that is up in segments on SlashFilm.com right now and will be up you know, in full uh, soon is I spoke to Dave Batista, who's plugging or uh, doing press for Army of the Dead. And I was able to talk about Guardians of the Galaxy 3 and Knives Out 2, which we just cast in, and Dune. And I think it's a really good interview. And I think he's a really fun interview because he's the right blend of humble and, and honest. He is just completely straightforward about his career, what he wants out of it. And uh, I really enjoy talking to him. And if you want to know you know, his reaction to being cast in Knives Out 2, which is, uh, in his own words, terrified, <laughs> he's joining that sequel, uh, or him hear him hype up Dune, or talk about uh, his what he thinks about the future of Drax. Specifically, he wants Marvel to recast Drax with a different actor after some time has passed and, and explore other avenues of Drax. So I thought it was an interesting way for him to feel about feel about him being okay with the character outliving him. Uh, so yeah, I, I think all three of those articles are up on Slash Film. The full interview with Army of the Dead Shatter will be up soon. Uh, but yeah, I, it's rare where I want to actually talk about an interview on this, pod, on this podcast, uh, but I really enjoyed it talking to him and i think you would enjoy reading his answers every time i've talked to dave he's been like the nicest guy ever i remember being on the set of guardians of the galaxy 2 and we were waiting in line at craft services and we, uh, a couple of us who were waiting in line uh, journalists who were waiting in line we realized that uh, dave was behind us and we were like oh no no you can cut it in front of him he was like, no, no 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 you guys got here for like he was just, i don't know just the nicest guy and also on those movies he went through like hours and hours of makeup and I, I don't know how after you know every morning you got to wake up and do like this three hour makeup routine to be happy and be like you know like ready to sh- shoot every single time i would be so cranky yeah I, I really think that he has this i think him coming from the world of professional wrestling instilled in him this sense of professionalism and courtesy which is weird to say but that's that's, that's a business where you're putting your life on the line and trusting other people. And, and I think it really instilled in him a, a professionalism and, and, and a desire to take care of others that really parlays into him as an actor. You can see it in, in how in, in this interview and others, he, he talked to me about how he genuinely wants to learn. He wants to be a great actor. He wants to work with the best people because he wants to be the sponge. And uh, it, it just comes across as, as a guy who who's just so curious and open to, to whatever the future is. And, and and I think so many actors discuss their process and discuss, you know, they, they seem like they're, they know everything. Whereas Dave Batista in, in this interview was very happy to say, yeah, I don't know everything. I want to learn. I want to work with Ryan Johnson because I, if, if I work with him, I will learn how to be a better actor. I thought, wow, it's, it's just a, a guy who just, I, I genuinely think that it comes from that very specific background of working in a very fringe, dangerous industry where your life's in somebody's hands. And, I think he somehow carries that that, that torch into, into acting in a weird way. Yeah, and I'm not sure if you if this happened to you in your interview, but when I've interviewed him, he also occurs to me that he is the kind of person that he either doesn't know or doesn't care, and like will sometimes be honest at points when he might not. He, he shouldn't be honest. Like I remember we on, on the set of Guardians, we asked him about that uh, Escape from New York remake that they were making, which I think at the time had Chris in it i could be wrong it's, it's whatever but he was like oh that's a bad idea <laughs> what <laughs> like you're not supposed to say that but uh yeah uh anyways okay so read jacob's article we'll link it in the show notes or your couple of articles yeah three of them and uh, soon to be a fourth yeah 
Okay, let's move on to what we've been watching. Uh, first up, we'll start with the doubleheader of Army of the Dead and Spiral. Uh, Jacob, you watched both of these. Let's start off with Army of the Dead. Yeah, I watched Army of the Dead in advance of my Dave Bautista interview. It hits theaters tomorrow, if you're listening to this, on the on May 13th, 2021. And it hits Netflix the week after. And I mostly enjoyed it. It is a huge mess. It is two and a half hours long. And, and I imagine that there's a sweet version of this movie that's 85 minutes and it just flies. And it's just the action, just the gore, just the weirdness, just the nastiness. Instead, it feels Michael Bay at his most Armageddon-ish in that it just takes so much time introducing this massive cast of characters, uh, most of whom don't really matter. And it just, it wastes its time on on characters who are flimsy while leaving massive questions about this world this weird zombie world unanswered. So it, it's feeling really unsatisfying uh, in terms of the, the world it creates and this cast of characters. Even the actors are good. I think if we think like, you know, Tina Taro is really fun as a blue collar helicopter pilot and Dave Bautista is, you know, doing solid work as a stoic action hero lead. But I think it's an hour too long. It's really indulgent. And in, in, if it was indulgent in just zombie violence, that would be great. <laughs> but it's indulgent in thinking its characters are really deep and complex. And I just don't think they are. And it feels weirdly small. Like most of them, you've seen the trailer. It looks like it's a big action epic. But most of the movie takes place in a single hallway. Chris, am I being unfair when I say that? No, you're, you're, you're right. It, I, I wrote this in my review, but there's long stretches of this movie where it feels like a video game where you're just where the characters are just walking down a hallway firing guns and not saying anything and it's like this is not <laughs> this is not cinematic this is like this should look cooler than it does oh yeah i'll, I'll jump back in then uh it's um it's, it's frustrating because there, there's this, there's some weirdness here like i i i I compared it in our Slack and on Twitter to if Michael Bay um, made a remake of John Carpenter's Ghosts of Mars because the zombies in this movie are deeply bizarre. They're unlike other zombies you've seen in other zombie movies. And I just wish it had doubled down the weirdness. I wish it had doubled down on just this sort of tribalistic zombies who are evolving to be super smart versus mercenaries in the desert. And it, it, it takes so long to get there and has so many weird tangents and so many subplots that don't pay off i i, I wish i love this movie i think zack snyder's best movie is still his dawn of the dead remake but dawn of the Dead remake feels restrained in certain ways i mean it has it well has a scope but it also it it it's written by james gunn for one uh which which contributes killer dialogue which is not present in army of the dead uh but it feels written for a smaller budget that's being maxed out in the best possible ways whereas army of the dead feels very big and expensive it feels indulgent in ways where like if we're expensive we gotta have all these action scenes that don't really pay off or matter (laughs) i I wish it was smaller i wish it cost half as much and and was half as long so wait wait so you're saying that the best part of this movie is the opening the characters take themselves too seriously and the it feels too long it's are you sure this is a Zack Snyder movie, Jacob? (laughs) oh peter i I will say at the opening uh 15 minutes which is a very extended opening credit sequence showcasing the zombie apocalypse hitting Las Vegas is the best part of the movie, like the best part of Watchmen or the best part of other Zack Snyder movies. Yeah, Sucker Punch, anything, anything he does. Uh, Chris, do you have any thoughts on this movie? Uh, it's it's fine. Um, I feel like it could have been a lot shorter and a lot better. Uh, like I didn't hate it while I was watching it, but I was also, you know, I feel like it, it's, it's all over the place. Like the beginning hints that it's going to be this really fun, 
even funny movie. And then after that opening, it just gets way too like morose and serious. And I was just like, what the fuck? Like, ugh, this shouldn't be like this miserable of a movie. I don't know. And there are too many characters. It's, you know, like you'll, you know, your mileage will vary on this. If you want to see a bunch of very muscular people firing loud guns and lots and lots of zombie gore, I guess you'll like this, but don't expect really anything else from this. So, you know, I, I just, I, I, I was hoping it would be better than it was. It's not like the worst Zack Snyder movie ever made, but it's not the best either. Okay, let's move on to the latest in the Saw franchise. I, I know I, I'm a big fan of the Saw franchise, surprisingly. Or I don't want to say a big fan. I, I have enjoyed the Saw franchise, even though it's kind of gone hill over over the <laughs> over the course of the movies. Uh, the new one, Spiral, from the Book of Saw. Jacob, you saw this. What did you think? Yeah, I'm going to not say too much. I'm interviewing a filmmaker tomorrow, Darren Lynn Bowsman, and, and I, in the event that he listens to Slash Film Daily, <laughs> I don't want to say too much before I interview uh, but it is a middling to low tier saw movie, and I'll hand a baton to Chris. It's bad. It's a bad, bad movie. It's probably the worst saw movie. Um, what makes it the worst? It just sucks. I don't. <laughs> I I wanted to like this. I really like. I'm not a huge saw fan, but I like the series. Um, and I was, I really liked the idea of like, oh, Chris Rock is in this and Samuel L. Jackson is in this. And I was like, oh man, this, this could be something special, but it's so like poorly written. Like the script is just atrocious and it's even as like a Saw movie, it doesn't really feel like a Saw. It feels more like, uh, I don't know if you guys remember like when seven came out, there was this, this sudden rush of of serial killer movies that were trying to be seven because seven was like, you know, the sea change. It was like, Oh shit, seven rules. Let's all try and be like seven. And that's what this feels like. And I guess that's sort of appropriate because when I remember when the original saw came out, it kind of was being lumped in with that. Like, Oh, this is a seven knockoff. So maybe that's what they were trying to do. I don't know, but it doesn't feel like a saw movie. It just feels like a generic serial killer movie. Um, Chris Rock, you know, uh, Chris Rock is a talented guy. He's got tons of charisma. He's he's funny as hell. He is not a good actor, and he's really not a good dramatic actor. And uh, he's supposed to do a lot of dramatic things in this movie, and he's really bad at it. He basically just yells the entire time, and I, I it's just it, it it just felt like a complete mess from start to finish. I was just watching like the opening scene is cool which is online. It's a thing where the a guy has to rip his tongue out or a train will hit him like that. That's a promising start. And then everything after that is just really downhill. And it's, it's frustrating because this has a really neat idea and it's, it's the plot is basically there's, there's a jigsaw copycat who's targeting corrupt cops and, you know, a smart script would have done something really cool and timely and interesting and maybe even subversive with that, especially right now when there's such scrutiny for, for corruption and violence in, in police forces. But this film just doesn't do anything with that. It's just, it's just like, all right, he's, he's targeting cops. That's it. And it, it's just, I don't know. It was just a, a big waste of time. Um, you know, the gore is fine. If you're only looking for gore, You'll get that, but other than that, I really did not care for this at all. 
I will say this much. There's a scene involving the removal of fingers that I found very effective. Uh, But it's a reminder that it's it's when the movie feels like a Saw movie is during this one incredibly upsetting gore sequence. And the rest of the movie is Chris Rock yelling. Chris Rock yells all of his lines. He never stops yelling. There came a point where I just wanted to mute Chris Rock. I think one of the things I like about the Saw movies is our... I don't want to say the torture porn segment, but the the traps where someone has to choose. He's put on the line of like having to choose between two things. And is there like you mentioned the opening scene? Is there more of that in this movie or uh, it... the, the first two trap sequences, the opening sequence and then the, the second one are the highlights. and It's all kind of downhill from there. Well, that's disappointing. Uh, let's go to what I've been watching. Uh, I am. Almost the last person to see Mitchell's versus the machines. HT still hasn't seen it, so so I'm not. I will soon. Yeah. What What is your excuse, HT? Why have you not seen Mitchell's versus the machines? Well, I'm waiting to. Basically, my sister is in the states for the first time for a year, and I think that's a movie she would love. So I'm waiting to watch it with her, and we're actually I'm at my parents right now and kind of waiting for her to come back from a rock climbing trip that she was doing and just kind of sit down and finally watch it with her fine okay you have a good reason <laughs> I, I i buy it okay uh i i really like this movie uh i don't think i was as high on it as jacob i think i'm between like jacob and ben on this i for the most part really liked it i you know lord and miller as producers really get get what where animation should be going and you know I guess they they just have a great sense of of uh, getting you to care about these animated characters and in in a big way. This movie, I, I will say this: it's it's not as great as Spider Verse. It's it's it emotionally hit me hard, but it it's a it's a bit messy of a movie. I think, and and not in a like intentional way. I think. Like some of it feels a little bit too ridiculous to me. I know the movie's called Mitchell's Earth the Machines, but it kind of starts out in like it's based in our reality of like people who are all in their phones, and then at some point, like buildings are levitating into the sky, and uh, you know the villains shut off the Wi-Fi from the inter- from the the world, which doesn't even make sense because there is no Wi-Fi for the world. But w- whatever, <laughs> some some of those things bother me as like uh, on a geeky level. Uh, I, I do agree with Ben that the dad is, you know, feels like a dad from the, the nineties. Uh, but I will say I can relate because my dad is like that, but, uh, you know, he's obviously, uh, he had me late in life, so he's a bit older and I have to, you know, walk him through how to put a Netflix password into his account. It's so it's, so I, 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 but it does feel dated and I feel like most kids these days probably have a a father that grew up with computers and at least understand it to some extent. Uh, the, the theme of the movie, I wanted, I wanted to ask you this, Jacob, because the theme of the movie, I, I'm not quite sure. It's like, it like is cohesive of like, what is the theme that technology is bad, that we should be better. I mean, the original title of this movie was connected, right? Um, but then like, she's making her movies and what does that have to do with anything? And so the theme of the movie is that technology is the greatest way to, uh, 
to bridge humans until we abuse it. It's about it's about the responsible use of, of social media, of YouTube, of, of technology, and how when used irresponsibly, it can cause a robot, up, a robot uprising. But when used responsibly, it's the best way to bring a family together and to save the world and reunite us as people. Hmm. I, I It just feels like that was the original intent of the movie. And then, like, in, through the animation process, like, all the animated movies, it probably got reiterated and changed, uh, you know, throughout the process. And I feel like some of it just doesn't, it doesn't feel as cohesive. Like, every character, like, what, I don't know, it's just. I'm, I, I don't know. I, I, I'm curious what the original story was, but I, I did really like it. I would give it like a 7.5 out of 10. Um, but uh, some of the things like it doesn't bother you at all, Jacob, that like buildings are just floating at one point. It's a science fiction movie. It goes full on sci-fi adventure. I, I, it's literally the last thing that can bother me about this movie. And also okay. it's clearly very stylized to not be super realistic. I, I get that, but like, it feels like they established this world, right? Like, I'm fine when a movie like becomes sci-fi or like is sci-fi and it it, it goes by its the rules that it sets. But the rules it sets of the world before the robot upright or the computer, whatever it is, upright. Yeah, I guess robot uprising. Like it's set like it's today, and there aren't there's no capabilities of floating buildings and stuff. I I, I will say this: I I like that the movie does not, um go down some roads i thought they were going to i thought that they were headed for some cliches like it sets up this um this neighbor family who's like the perfect family they look at their instagram and it's all like these perfect photos and i was like oh my god this movie's gonna end with them finding out that that they're not so perfect and blah 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 and and uh i guess this that's a spoiler that it doesn't go in that direction so yeah i I was happy with that um but yeah i would recommend this I, i i I really think it's a good good movie. I don't think it's as great as Spider First, though. But um, okay, uh, the other thing I want to talk about, um, actually, two other things I want to talk about. Um, Dark Side of the Ring. This is the documentary series on Vice TV. It's from filmmaker Jason Eisner, who uh, did Hobo with the Shotgun and uh, a bunch of other stuff. Revenge. Uh, he's a big wrestling fan. He's been making this series. I, I think I've talked about it twice now because this is the season three of the series. And every season, it gets bigger and better because I think the first season, it concentrated on some some more niche uh, people in the world of professional wrestling because they didn't have... You know, th- this is a documentary series where each episode focuses on one person and one person's story and what the it's always horrible. It's always the person dies or kills someone or it just it's all bad and it's sad and it, it's it's that kind of show. But I think the first season they didn't have the buy in from people in the professional wrestling world. They didn't know if I guess those people probably didn't know if it was going to try to make them look bad or whatever. And then the second season had some more buy-in from the pro wrestling world. This season is bigger. Like this first episode is a two, two episode opening. So it's two episodes about uh, the wrestler, Brian Pullman, Pillman. And um, it uh, has big names like Steve Austin is a part of this. Who's uh, arguably one of the biggest professional wrestlers of all time. And he was the tag team partner of Brian Pillman before uh, Stone Cold, before Steve Austin became Stone Cold. Uh, Brian Pillman's story is very interesting because he's 
a guy that kind of blew up during the Attitude Era when uh, WWE was uh, becoming really huge uh, with their their war with WCW. And Pullman kind of <laughs> he created a character for himself. Uh, he was known as the Loose Cannon, which he would do things in the ring that looked even by wrestling standards, you know, wrestling is you know, quote unquote fake or quote unquote scripted, whatever you want to call it. Uh, but he would do things in the ring that did not look like they were scripted and sometimes were not scripted. And because of that, people thought he was kind of a, a, a maniac and he used that to his advantage to, to start this bidding war between these two uh, companies. And uh, in the end, uh, I'm not going to spoil this whole story, but it, it ends really badly. Um, the, the first two episodes are on YouTube for free. So if you want to see them on YouTube, I highly recommend checking them out. This, this series is really, I think, one of the best TV shows on TV right now that people are not watching. And I, I hate this. That's a backhanded compliment, I guess. Uh, but I don't think outside of the pro wrestling circles, people are watching this. And this is just as good as like any of the great like true crime stuff that you see on Netflix and uh, how it's shot and how the stories are told. And uh, this, th this one's really emotional. And I know, I think for season three, you need to have vice or something to see it, but you can see the first two episodes on YouTube and the previous two seasons are on discovery plus. So if you have discovery plus or Hulu, you can watch dark side of the ring season one or two. And I highly recommend it. It's a very good, show but it'll make you depressed after watching it because the, the 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 lives of these pro wrestlers are oftentimes uh very hard as <laughs> jacob was alluding to earlier with drax or with um uh, dave batista and uh you know they usually go into directions of drugs and uh sometimes murder and sometimes suicide and sometimes you know all this bad stuff bad stuff happens basically when, when, when even when you're at the top of the game of pro wrestling it, it, it eventually you're not going to be on top anymore and things just spiral downhill. But, um, but yeah, I also did get discovery plus finally, Jacob, after you, you recommending this and I, I haven't watched anything good on it, to be honest with you. But you mean anything good mean like ain't, ain't nothing at all, or you just haven't even acknowledged Discovery plus is all about guilty pleasure. It's not about actually great television. Yeah. Well, I mean, I watched a couple episodes of restaurant impossible that I hadn't seen because they, they'd pulled that off of, what uh, food tv or whatever and food it network on, uh, yeah food network and uh in i don't need to talk about that uh i did watch uh the first episode of expedition back to the future which is a exclusive Di discovery plus title and to be honest with you when i when i clicked play on this i thought this was like a a one-time special i didn't think it was a series <laughs> but uh apparently this guy who hosts these uh shows on um I'm not sure what network, but I guess they're on Discovery Plus. He has these expedition shows. Uh, he takes you on a trip to... It's like this whole convoluted storyline where Doc Brown... Christopher Lloyd as Doc Brown appears to him and tells him, you know, the, the future is going to collapse if he doesn't find the original Back to the Future DeLorean and bring it to Michael J. Fox because Michael J. Fox is going to have this fundraiser. And if that doesn't happen, then it's going to be all bad. So it's like this whole very stupid convoluted storyline, but it's an excuse for him to kind of go on this tour across the U.S. and talk to some of the people responsible for making, uh, you know, this 80s classic 
including, you know, big people, you know, uh, well, Christopher Lloyd, Leah Thompson. I'm assuming Michael J. Fox is going to be in it. Uh, there's some good uh, in the first episode and there's some good cameos from like some supporting characters who are like literally in it for a few seconds. It, it's fun, funny that they participated and fun to see them uh, kind of reprising their old roles like Strickland, uh, who is the principal of the high school, is now the the security guard at the, the gate of Universal Studios that they encounter. But yeah, so this convoluted story is kind of ridiculous. It's, it's at times it's really corny. But it's it's just fun reminiscing in the nostalgia of the this movie that we all love. And it's um yeah, sure it's fluff. And sure you're like seeing some of these props and like there's all these different Delor- like that there's a uh, half dozen different DeLoreans that were created for this film and they're going to try to find the right one that they need. So they're probably gonna go through all of them before they find the right one. And through that time they're meeting some very interesting people and having con you know, uh Christopher Lloyd is along for this adventure. And during, I, I think some of my favorite moments is when it's not the scripted conversations where he's there with Lloyd and he'll start having conversations with him about uh, the legacy and how it was like to shoot these things. Uh, Bob Gale, the guy that wrote uh, back, back to the future movies was, isn't part of this first episode. Uh, by the time I got done with this first episode, I, that's when I realized that it was a first episode of a, I think a four or five episode series. I didn't continue on to episode two, so I'm not sure what that tells you, but I I think I'm going to take a, a little bit of a break um, from it. The first episode takes place mostly in Southern California. And then the rest of it, I think it's going to go across uh, the United States, possibly the globe. So I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to go back to it, but uh, it, it's, you know, it's one of those enjoyable, like, you know, you put it on the TV, you don't have to like pay fully attention too, and I think it's only on Discovery Plus. So if you don't have Discovery Plus, then I guess I'm not recommending anything to you. But I will say this: I have Verizon Wireless, and if you have Verizon Wireless, if you go into your Verizon account, you can get six months free of Discovery Plus. So um, maybe that's uh, an excuse to get that, and then you can watch um, Expedition uh, Back to the Future. You can watch uh, Jacob's Battle Bots. You can watch Restaurant Impossible. You can watch all those 90 Days, whatever. I don't, I don't know. I don't watch those things. Do you watch those things, Jacob? Oh, no. Uh, I'd say about two-thirds <laughs> of things on Discovery Plus are, are like the absolute ball in the barrel crap. But the good news is that there's literally billions upon billions of thousands of hours of shit to watch. So yeah. you still have a billion good things to watch on Discovery Plus. Yeah. When, it, when I was watching the episodes of Restaurant Impossible, I went to the Restaurant Impossible section and I was like, this has, I forget how many seasons. It was like 18 seasons or something. I was like, there's 18 seasons of Restaurant Impossible? like wow that's a lot of episodes okay uh let's move on to you jacob what have you been watching uh i watched in the heights like an interview director john m chu interview that'll go up uh next month he is delightful uh this movie i have issues with it i think a lot of them are echoed by what chris said when he talked about it and i'd be briefier since the social embargo is up but not the review embargo i will say this movie is very joyful great songs i think it's too long i wish that there was some radical restructuring on a script on the script so it could function as a shorter movie because it does feel long in the tooth after a while uh but this is the kind of thing that it's so joyous and so energetic and demands an audience in a big screen i'm probably going to go see it again in theaters when it opens and that's all i'll say because it's it's a good movie okay in the heights and when does that come out it comes out sometime in june uh, june 11th i think okay we'll say june 11th for now 
Brad, what have you been watching? Uh, I watched the latest entry in the screen life uh, subgenre, I guess, that's becoming more popular, especially in the wake of the coronavirus pandemic. Um, it's directed by Timur Bekmambetov, and it's called Profile, uh, following in the same format as uh, like searching um, or our host. The entire movie unfolds across computer screens, uh, and this one is inspired by a true story, and it follows uh, a young female journalist who poses as a um, a Muslim convert to try and find out um, how uh, women are being recruited uh, by terrorist regimes and sold into uh, sex slave rings. And so it, uh, it all unfolds through uh, Skype calls and instant messaging and um, video calls with like the, the editor of the, um, the news organization that is employing this journalist. And it follows um, this young woman as she engages with um, a, a terrorist in Syria who uh, is sweet talking her and kind of trying to convince her to come to Syria. And so there's this um, struggle that she has because like she's obviously not she, she has you know financial issues and it's hard for her to like get a, get a story um, in to keep her livelihood going. Uh, and so it's there's this idea that maybe she is being tempted like uh, thousands of other European women have. And so there's uh, a back and forth as far as like whether this guy, despite, you know, his, you know, clear radical beliefs is actually someone who, you know, is fighting for a, a worthy cause. And if she's starting to buy into it um, and it's uh, it's, it's fairly suspenseful. Sometimes it seems like it's really trying to make things a little more suspenseful than they otherwise would be. There's not as much of like, an urgency as there is in a story like searching. Um, and without spoiling anything, I feel like the ending is a little bit rushed and kind of unbelievable. And it also gets a little bit self-righteous in some ways. Um, that's all I'll say. So I don't give anything away, but um, for a movie, you know, that um, is does something a little bit different. I, I appreciate it. And I think it's, it makes good use of the, the screen life format. Um, and it shows that there's, I think there's still like a lot of ways for them to figure out uh, how to tell different kinds of stories with this format um, and do something that, you know, kind of changes things up. But I feel like people might get tired of it if it becomes a little bit more common because of uh, these movies were a little bit easier to uh, produce during the, the coronavirus pandemic since you could, you know, shoot them through webcams and direct them remotely and whatnot but um i, I would say it's it's a, a solid entry in a, in a, a subgenre that's you know still kind of in its infancy okay what else have you been watching uh, i also watched a thriller called caliber um this is a movie that played the uh, edinburgh film festival uh not too long ago i want to say that it was um 2018 something like that um and uh Sorry, I lost my train of thought for a second. Um, it stars Jack Loden and Martin McCann as these two friends um, who go on a, a hunting trip in the Scottish Highlands. Uh, and one thing leads to another, and there is uh, some kind of accident. Uh, I won't say what, but it leads to them um, kind of fearing for their lives and figuring out what to do and just being caught up in the situation where they're forced to make some um, pretty terrible decisions. Um, has a little bit of like a a winter's bone vibe to it, but maybe not so, not quite so grisly. Um, but it's, uh, it's, it's a little bit of a slow burn, uh, solid performances. 
And uh, yeah, it's available on Netflix if you want to check that one out. Let's uh, move on to Chris. Chris, what are you watching? Uh, I watched and reviewed uh, Those Who Wish Me Dead, which is the new Angelina Jolie movie. And she hasn't really done a movie in a while. I feel like the last one was the Maleficent sequel. I could be wrong there, but I think that might be the, like the last movie she I think started. you're right, Chris. Yeah. And uh, this movie is fine. It's a, it's a, I, <laughs> It feels like... Um, it feels like a movie that is from the nineties. And if it had come out in the nineties, it would have starred like Jean-Claude Van Damme in the Angelina Jolie role, but instead it's, it's her. And, she, and it's great to have Angelina Jolie back. She, you know, she is a movie star and she's very good in this film. She plays a, uh, a smoke jumper, which is, those are firefighters who jump out of airplanes into forest fires to help, you know, fight the fires. And she's in a, uh, a, a fire watch tower, much like the game Firewatch. And meanwhile, there is this kid who's being chased by this team of assassins and the kid is running through the woods and uh, Angelina Jolie finds him and and she has to protect him from the killers. And that is really it. That's like the only thing going on here. And while this isn't a great movie, I thought it was really refreshing to watch a movie that was just this simple. Like this isn't, uh, you know, this isn't trying to start a franchise, even though it's based on a book. This isn't like, you know, a familiar IP. It's not like a comic book. It's not like a TV show being adapted. It's just a simple uh, by the numbers point A to point B thriller. And like I said, while it's not like great, it's not like you're not going to come away from this and being like, that was one of the best movies of the year. You're you'll probably be entertained. And I just liked having, you know, an R rated movie that doesn't really have any ulterior motives. It just exists to entertain you and that's it. And then it's over. So those who wish me dead, I think it's coming. I think it comes out in theaters and HBO max this Friday. So you can, you can watch it this weekend. Okay. And by the way, I'll look this up. Angelina Jolie was in a movie in 2020 uh, called come away. She was like, Oh yeah, that's right. I forgot about that. And she also did a voice in the one and only Ivan, but that doesn't count. No, I mean like, yeah, like on screen. (laughs) Okay, let's move on to HTA. HTA, what have you been watching? I've been watching Columbo, the uh, detective series starring Peter Falk as the titular uh, homicide detective, Columbo. And, and it's uh, the show that was created by um, uh, Philip Saltzman, I think, or no. Created by Rev- Richard Levinson and William Link. And um, yeah, it follows Peter Falk, uh, Peter Falk's character as he basically solves mystery, solves these murders that were com- committed by wealthy people and that you see uh, of unfold through the beginning of the episode before Columbo pops in and uh, figures it all out in a subversion of the um, whodunit genre, which I found out after watching the co- first couple episodes. But um, Columbo is a show that uh, I had had been on my radar for a while. I knew of it. It's kind of one of those classic series that had has been on like many top TV lists of all time. And I was like, oh, I've never seen that. Um, and I had kind of been interested in, re- in watching it because I feel like in the past, over the pandemic, people have been talking about Columbo a lot more recently. There's just been a surge in love for Columbo. And I was like, ah, that's a show that I feel like I want to take a year off 
from life and everything and just watch Columbo. And I'm not doing that, but I am watching Columbo and I'm having a great time with it and nursing an un- unexpected crush on Peter Falk while watching this. He is so good in this. He just like chews up the scene. I don't know. He's just so good. Um, how many episodes of Columbo are there? You you could be watching this for a long time, HD. I guess there's I, only sixty eight episodes, so it's not. Yeah, it's doable 60, this year. Yeah, exactly. There's like there's sixty nine episodes, but they're all about an hour and a half long. They're basically a little mini movie, um, and uh, yeah, it's it's doable. It's a very nice sort of low key binge. It's very refreshing to have basically your your soft-boiled detective in a way. He's not a hard-boiled detective. He's, 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 it's such a low-key, almost mellow murder mystery series that you can watch and be, and relax while watching it. It's not all about the detective that, like many nowadays, that are burdened by the ghosts of their past and stuff. Columbo just, you know, is bothered by the, uh, the various conflicting details in this and just wants to figure out who did it. And, um, it annoys his culprits into, into outing themselves. Yeah, I talked to, to Ryan Johnson for Knives Out. We brought up Columbo and how both Benoit Blanc and Columbo uh, both get the job done because people don't take them seriously because mm-hmm. of Benoit Blanc's outrageous accent and because Columbo looks like this completely ruffled guy who couldn't be bothered. And I, I, oh man, it, it made me want to, that conversation made me want to rewatch Columbo. I used to watch it all the time as a kid and I'm really glad to hear you tell me it essentially holds up so I can dive back in. And keep in mind, Ryan Johnson is now making a new detective show that's supposed to be like Columbo, but with Natasha Leone. So that's going to be amazing. Hmm. Yeah, when, when I was a kid, I was Ooh. I loved Scooby Doo, and my dad would watch Columbo. So that would that would be the double header of every day, as I'd be watching Scooby Doo during the daytime, and my dad would put on Columbo, and it, strangely, they kind of go together a little bit. They they kind of do. <laughs> <laughs> everything's solved and the the culprit is yeah. put away at the end of the day yeah if it wasn't for that metal those meddling kids or you know that unkempt uh guy in the, the that meddling rumpled detective <laughs> yeah okay uh let's move to ben what have you been watching uh i rewatched west side story for probably the first time since i was 15 years old or something and my god that movie is just amazing it uh it's incredible it was the opening night film of the uh turner classic movies film festival which had a bunch of movies playing obviously on the channel turner classic movies but also um, a bunch of stuff uh, available on hbo max and as far as i know a lot of that is still available there so they have a bunch of um you know uh, different movies that they've chosen and then they filmed a bunch of new content in terms of like interviews with people who are involved or with film historians and stuff like that just sort of extra contextual almost like bonus foot or bonus featurette kind of material that um i think is, is probably going to be worth diving into i have not made time to do that myself but i know that west side story was the opening night film and they had a um reunion of three of the members of the cast uh, and it was like a 30 minute video thing. So I have that sort of bookmarked as, as one of my things that I need to, to check out very soon. But um, man, just revisiting this movie, uh, it is a classic for a reason. It is incredible. The performances are are just unreal. And the the songs, like, I sort of forgot how many of these songs, um, you know, sort of broke out and like became standards, but originated originated in this movie. Um, the music is, is, yeah, just beautiful. And the, the colors and the choreography, it's just like, uh, you can you can see why it won you know ten Oscars or whatever it did back in 1961 when it came out. So um, I'm not 
so sure how I feel about the Steven Spielberg uh, remake now after watching this. I'm kind of like, man, this is like pretty close to a perfect movie. So like, what can you do? Uh, I mean, I understand the idea of like casting actual people, you know, Puerto Rican actors um, in those kind of roles, which certainly this original movie did not do. Um, So certainly for like, from a, uh, a representation standpoint, I think this new movie will be um, an improvement, but um, the Ansel Elgort of it all, I'm not thrilled about. And uh, yeah, I don't know. I'm I'm very torn about that. So anyway, I would just recommend that everybody go back and watch the original movie because it's, it's amazing. It's on uh, HBO max right now. Okay, what else have you been watching? Uh, I watched a movie called The Hot Rock, which I'd never heard of before. It came out in 1972. It was written by uh, William Goldman and directed by Peter Yates, who directed Bullet. Um, and this movie is uh, a lot of fun. It's on the Criterion channel, and it stars uh, Robert Redford and George Siegel as a pair of uh, basically like robbers. Um, the, the premise is these guys plan to steal a huge diamond from a museum and the heist goes wrong. So they have to steal it again from wherever it's moved. And then they have to steal it again after that. So it's basically like four or five heist movies in one, all sort of uh, centering and revolving around the same item. Um, And the same team of like four different guys tries to uh to break into various places and, and steal this diamond um that the that uh redford redford's character is like obsessed with um and you know it, it's a little bit of a goofy <laughs> movie i don't think it performed super well at the box office when it originally came out but um i think redford is very good in it and it's it's one of those like uh cool new york movies to see new york in the early 70s before the town really um you know, before the the '80s uh, grunge and filth sort of like really took over in, for for a period there, um, so it's it's uh, it's an unusual New York movie for like the first I don't know 30 minutes or something. I was like, what city does this take place in? Because it does not look like other New York movies for for the most part. That you it it chooses um, locations and stuff like real you know uh, on set location or on yeah on location spots that are not uh, frequently utilized in other movies. So um, yeah, I would say The Hot Rock is, is a fun watch and it's uh, on Criterion channel right now. Yeah, you mentioned that this movie didn't do well on its release, it, so much so that when it was released internationally, they actually renamed the movie because they thought that uh, hot, The Hot Rock, people would mistake it as a like a rock music concert film. <laughs> So they, they, yeah. they, they renamed it How to Steal a Diamond in Four e- Uneasy Lessons. <laughs> yeah, it's a little bit a uh, little bit of a mouthful of a title there, but I, I guess I understand how the hot rock might sound like an old Elvis Presley musical or something like that. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, it, it's a fun movie. So I, I recommend checking that one out if you're interested in, especially if you like heist movies, if you're like a, a heist film completist, this is a, a good one to watch. Uh, and then finally, I watched a movie called So I Married an Axe Murderer, which... Brad, did you talk about this on the podcast before, or are you a fan of this as a as a Mike Myers fan? I feel like you must have an opinion on this movie. I don't think I talked about it on the podcast, but not too long ago, it was one of my entries on the quarantine stream, and I okay. I love this movie. <laughs> yeah, I had fun with it. I, I you know, it, this is one of those movies that I saw the VHS um, cover of in Blockbuster all the time as a kid because it came out in 1993. And I just never got around to it until now, but it's streaming right now on uh, both Hulu and Amazon Prime Video. 
And I just, I don't know, I was in the mood for Mike Myers comedy, I guess. And it, it's not really the movie that I thought it was going to be. Um, he, it, it's, it's a really interesting blend in terms of the Mike Myers of it all for him to do some dramatic stuff, but also just break out into, um, you know, some of the more comedic uh, material that we know him for. Um, there's a, a part where he plays his own dad, uh, sort of like Eddie Murphy, you know, just like in full makeup and uh, adopting a really ridiculous uh, over the top Scottish accent. Um, and that part is like pure SNL, you know, the, the Mike Myers that is just right in the wheelhouse that everybody knows. But there are several moments throughout this movie where he's just playing just like essentially a normal guy uh, in the early nineties. And it just kind of feels like, Oh, well, like Mike Myers, if he wanted to probably could have made a career just, you know, as like, um, I don't know, like a, like a, a, a middling uh, just, you know, every man kind of actor. Like he, there, there was nothing in, in here that really like blew me away, but it was just interesting to see him in that mode, which I hadn't really seen him in very often before. Um, and so the movie, I think, in general, is like a pretty fun little uh, <laughs> little film. It's, it's basically just about this guy who falls in love with this uh, this woman who works at a butcher shop in, I think it's San Francisco. And uh, he starts to learn that there is a serial killer on the loose named Mrs. X, who uh, is involved with a, a string of murders and he begins to wonder if this woman that he has fallen in love with who works at at this butcher shop is actually this serial killer so um yeah it's just a fun uh you know short uh goofy little movie that uh i feel like has not really um been in the center of the cultural conversation in any meaningful way maybe ever or at least not since the early 90s um but uh i think this is one that that uh, made me look at mike myers a little differently so I would, I would recommend checking it out i'm right there with you brad i'm a fan of this one yeah that's one of the things i i love so much about this movie is that it, it's pretty much the only movie where mike myers basically plays a version of himself and i i, I wish that he got to do this uh more often because i could easily see him you know appearing in a string of movies in the same way that like uh you know jay Jason Siegel or Seth Rogen has. And, yeah, yeah. But, but he's opted to play just these larger than life characters under layers of makeup more often than not. Um, but this, yeah, this movie has, just has, it just has a lot of charm. And, and like one of my favorite parts, man, it's so good is having uh, Alan Arkin as like the, the police, um, <laughs> like, like, like priest, precinct chief. And he yes. he's, he's keeps trying to pretend to be like this hard ass TV cop and like going into full like almost like audition mode and get, getting advice you know from his, his junior detective yeah there's a detective character and he he basically like needs um he needs motivation from his uh, police detective or, or his police chief played by alan arkin and arkin is just sort of like a nice normal guy and he just like can't give this guy what he wants so he in an effort to to sort of help his detective along he sort of adopts this persona yeah like you said brad like he's auditioning to play a cop from an 80s movie and especially since this movie came out in the early 90s that joke in particular feels very ahead of its time that feels like something that would be in a lord and miller movie now yeah, um, yeah. but it, uh, yeah i was very impressed with that and that's like definitely one of the funniest parts in the movie is just seeing him lean into you know, all of those 80s cliches uh, about like, I want your badge and like all of that kind of stuff. Like he, he really seems to be having a lot of fun there. So um, yeah, I would say 
actually, I mean, it's a very short part of the movie, but like this movie is worth watching for the Mike Myers of it all. And for that alone, I think it's definitely worth checking out. And random appearances by Michael Richards and Charles Grodin and Stephen Wright. <laughs> yeah, yeah, man. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. If you are, you know, sort of well-versed in in comedy scene and, and all of that, you'll you'll definitely recognize some people as they pop up along the way. All I remember is him playing his dad in the beat poetry like part of yeah. that film. So yeah, that's the that's the very '90s part of the movie is that he's yeah. a beat poet, which is yeah, very amusing. <laughs> yeah. Okay, let's move on. Uh, actually, I do want to bring this up. Did, did you know in 2015, so many years after the release of this movie, Tom Rothman, uh, who is the head of what Sony at the time, I guess maybe he 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 was trying to make a tv series version of this based on really yeah it's, that would have been wouldn't have, well first of all probably wouldn't have had um uh what's his name mike, mike myers, myers. <laughs> and it just wouldn't i don't know i don't understand what the what that would even be but okay uh, <laughs> i mean i guess i do understand what it would be but like how do you drag that out to a whole season of television I don't know. Huh. Yeah. yeah. That's a weird one. <laughs> okay. Uh, let's move on to what we've been eating. Uh, while I was at Knott's Berry Farm, I had, well, by the way, and not to harp on Knott's Berry Farm, but uh, I'm an annual pass holder at Knott's Berry Farm. And for the annual pass holders, you could, for I think it's like 130 bucks, add on all season dining. And what that means for that price, you every time you go to Knott's Berry Farm, you can have two meals. You can have a lunch and a dinner. Uh, comes with an entree and a side, and uh, they just need to be four hours apart. And uh, basically, if you go there like three or four times, that's like worth its weight in gold. Uh, because the more times you go, that ends up being free food. But um, so while I was there uh, for the annual pass holder preview, I used my my dining plan, my all season dining plan for the first time. And one of the things I got was this elote hot dog which is basically, you know, street corn on top of a hot dog. It was great, uh, but I didn't really want to talk about that. I wanted to talk about uh, it came with a, a side of a, a chips, and I chose Takis, which I've never had before. I know a lot of people probably are like, what? Everybody's had Takis or something, but they're like these uh, tortilla chips that are they're corn chips. Are they tortilla or are they corn chips? They're one of those two. They're roll or yeah, they're tortilla chips and they're rolled uh to look almost like a i guess like a cigarette like style of like a roll and they are very spicy they have like this hot chili pepper and lime taste to them and uh they get really intense after a couple of them and i've never had them before and now i think they might be one of my favorite chips they're but, real good peter i have them yeah. all the time <laughs> I, i've only had the, the the normal one the uh fuego one but those, are the, have... those are the best ones honestly peter you, you can venture into the others but i don't think you'll find any that top the original yeah because they got blue heat they got guacamole they got crunchy fajitas they got nitro i want to try the nitro you don't you don't think nitro is better though i think the rest of them are fine but i i think the original one is the best i think it the rest of them are either too mild or too weird i, I think there's something really I like the spice level on the originals. I think they nailed it there and they've been messing with it since, but never quite managed to capture that magic. I'm surprised at how spicy they are for like a mass marketed chip. Like I, I know like flaming hot Cheetos are spicy, but this I feel like is like 
at least three times as spicy. Oh yeah, for sure. Uh, Brad, do you have an opinion on Takis? You have to have an opinion on Takis. I, I know he doesn't like spice. Yeah, that's Brad. the thing is I'm not a big spicy person, so I really just don't like like Takis at all because there's not really a flavor that appeals to me just because I'm kind of a wimp when it comes to spicy things. So it's just it's just not for me. Well, darn. Okay, uh, <laughs> Brad, what have you been eating this week? Um, what have I been eating this week? That's a good question. Um, I so Pepsi Blue uh, is back after disappearing a long time ago. I remember this coming out uh, when I was in high school, back when high schools used to have pop machines in them. And it was okay because no one cared about our health. Um, and But it, it's back. And so I... Wait, I honestly, wait, wait, do they no longer have soda machines in high schools? From what I understand, like, I'm pretty sure that they started to phase soda machines out because it was like, basically they were providing something that was super unhealthy to kids. And I feel like now they only have things like water and Gatorade machines. So really because like i remember the high school not the one i went to but the one uh town over they had a mcdonald's and a subway in their in their high school for their um lunch wow really yeah crazy i was always jealous of them but i'm guessing that's probably gone too man richie rich schools over there (laughs) (laughs) um but yeah so pepsi blue is back it's it's a, a berry flavored soda um it's it's not just pepsi with berry flavor which is something that does exist um, but it's, it's like a, a blue looks like antifreeze kind of soda. And I, I kind of forgot what it tasted like. Uh, and as somebody who isn't a berry fan, but remembered enjoying it when I was younger, I was just curious to try it again. And I did. Um, and it's, it's not bad. It's, um, it does kind of have a little bit of a regular cola flavor to it. Um, with, but like, I guess mixed with more of a, uh i don't know like what you what you would say like would be a a citrus berry soda maybe since it is it is more of a clear blue soda um but it's it's pretty good um i i don't like this one as much when it like comes cold out of a bottle there's this is like a whole entire separate conversation about the hierarchy of preferences of drinking a soft drink out of like a can or a bottle or like a cup with ice and that kind of thing um but this one in particular i enjoy more uh, putting in a cup with ice just because I feel like the the sweetness needs to have like a little bit of a cut of the, the cold water that melts from the ice with it because otherwise it is a very sweet soda on its own um, where it, ha- it almost tastes like you're drinking like soda syrup essentially and that, that's just because of the artificial berry flavor but it's, it's still pretty good I enjoy it um, and then on the uh, a similar soft drink level so previously I talked about how Arby's surprisingly has an outstanding root beer float and it's I think it's mostly just because of um, how their soft serve ice cream perfectly melts into the root beer. And it creates this outstanding, very cool mix um, of the ice cream and root beer that makes it feel like you're almost drinking a root beer float milkshake. Uh, and so it's back because it's summer, but now they've expanded like that. I'm sure you could have done this before, but now they're like publicizing it. And I never thought of it on my own uh, where you can use it, um, use other sodas and get a float that way. And the one that they were like pushing was a Dr. Pepper float, which I hadn't had before. Um, but I, one thing that they used to have at Burger King that I really like was they had a Dr. Pepper milkshake. And so I was like, Hmm, I wonder if I can recreate the, the, you know, uh, Dr. Pepper milkshake experience by getting this. And it wasn't quite as good as the Dr. Pepper milkshake that Burger King used to have, but it still uh, works pretty well along along the same way that the root beer does. And again, it's because of however, however they figured out like the perfect combination of the soft serve ice cream they have with the soft drink. It's just this great mix that just makes the taste um, outstanding. And the, you you don't, once you let the ice cream melt and you mix it, it just doesn't, 
Um, you never get rid of, you don't lose the soda first and then you're just stuck with a bunch of ice cream with fizzle over it. You know, it's just a nice mixture of the two. And so uh, if you, if you haven't gotten around to trying the floats at Arby's uh, it's, it's <laughs> surprisingly satisfying. I've never thought of doing a float in something other than root beer. So I guess I'm going to have to try that. Did you end up reading, there was an article in Wired that was about the McDonald's soft serve machines? Oh, yeah. this Well, this because that's something that's been, that has annoyed the hell out of me. There's times where, so many times, uh, and I thought it was just like an isolated thing here, but apparently it's a thing all over where like late at night, you'll go to like a McDonald's and you'll want like a milkshake or a McFlurry and they're like, no, ice cream machine is down. And uh, apparently it's a real problem. And like some people like hacked into their their like system to figure out when the, the ice cream machines were like up and running to help people out and so it was like this yeah it was this huge thing yeah it's this whole it's a really long story it's hard to recap here but it, it's very interesting i'm gonna put a link to it in the show notes so if you're at all interested in like <laughs> the behind the scenes dynamics of the the mcdonald's ice cream machines and there's like this rival company that was like producing this thing that would it, it's it's way too complicated to get in here, but it, it's it'll, very it'll make a very stupid movie one day. <laughs> yeah. Uh, speaking okay. of ice cream, um, I, I tried a, a new variant of Hershey Kisses uh, strawberry ice cream cone. Um, this has been out for a little bit uh, now, and you can find it at, like Target and Walmart and stuff, I think. Um, and so it's a strawberry Hershey Kiss that has chunks of like a waffle ice cream cone in it, um, and this is really really good. Uh, the the flavor has like a strawberry um, milk kind of flavor to it, and uh, just the right amount of like crispy waffle cone pieces in it. It, it almost like it almost tastes like a um, almost like a, I guess like a you could almost call this a strawberry cheesecake. Uh, Hershey Kiss, if if it had that like kind of cream cheese flavor to it, um, but it's uh, the 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 mixture of like the, the the strawberry with the cones just works so well. It's like, also reminds me of strawberry shortcake. Actually, that might be a better comparison. Um, so those are, those are really really good, um, and it's a nice departure because a lot of the you know Hershey Kisses are usually chocolate or some mixture of of chocolate, and so the strawberry is a nice uh, variation on the on the Hershey Kiss. Uh, and then I also tried uh, a, a new Little Debbie cereal. Previously, I talked about how the oatmeal crime, oatmeal, oatmeal crime, oatmeal cream pie cereal uh, was outstanding. Uh, one of my favorite new cereals I, I'd had in a long time. And so I was very curious to try another one they have called uh, the Cosmic Brownie cereal. Uh, obviously, it's based on the Little Debbie Cosmic Brownie that has like those little candy pieces in it. And so um, it's not quite as good as the oatmeal cream pie cereal. I will say that. But it's better than I thought it would be because I was anticipating something um, that because of like the mixture of the sprinkles and the chocolate didn't quite work as well. Um, and the flavor, it kind of reminded me of the Oreo cereal, which I don't like very much. And this kind of helped me determine that the reason I don't like it is because of the like the crumbles or whatever they use to represent the frosting on the Oreo cereal is what kind of ruins it. Because the chocolate cereal itself is pretty good. It's It doesn't taste like Cocoa Puffs. Um, but it's a different kind of, of chocolate crunch taste. And it also has like a frosting on it that I think helps um, make it stand out a little bit better than the, uh, the Oreo cereal. So uh, solid, not, not fantastic, but it's um, I think it's, you know, if you, if you like the cosmic brownies, then you would probably enjoy this, the cereal. Cool. And I think that brings us to the end of today's slash from daily. You can find more of all work at slash You can find this podcast on Apple, Google, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. Please feel free to send your feedback, questions, comments, concerns to us at peter at slash And please rate and review this podcast on iTunes. Tell your friends, spread the word. And we'll see you 
tomorrow. Hey, Peter. How's, how, how are you doing, Jacob? How are you holding up? I've been better, but I know Will Cheer Me Up. Will Cheer Me Up is a gargantuan book of insult, offense, and affrontery, sharp retorts, reposts, caustic quips, and implied put-downs by Louis A. Safian. I've opened up today to page 256, Do-Nothings. Do-Nothings. Uh, Peter, during an earthquake alert, you set up waiting for the shock to shake down your folding bed. Hey, I, I set up, Jacob. Peter, during an earthquake alert, you set up waiting for the shock to shake down your folding bed. Okay. Uh, Chris, he gets his exercise watching TV horror movies and letting his flesh creep. <laughs> sure. <laughs> ben, it's been too much of an effort for him to make coffee, so he puts coffee beans in his mustache and sips hot water. It's <laughs> actually is really funny. <laughs> genuinely amusing, yeah. Well, this one's even better. Uh, Brad, uh, he's so lazy, he won't even exercise discretion. Mm, that, that's 100% <laughs> true, too. <laughs> uh, HT, she found a great way to start the day. She goes back to bed. I mean, yeah, that's a great way to start the day. I want a beard one. <laughs> oh, let me see if there's a beard section in here. Um, oh. I don't think there's a beard section, unfortunately. <laughs> That's all right. How is there not a beard section? There's like a section for everything in this book. Uh, there's a section for wives and nicknames and uh, gold diggers and husbands and hypochondriacs, <laughs> uh, chiselers, crabs, dressed and undressed, dumbbells. Sapien must have had a beard and he was like, you know what? That's okay, but not gold diggers. I think I think Louis Sapien had a giant beard, like one that was like wrapped up and like like tucked into his into his uh, three piece suit they wore every day. I heard that he wrote all of these down using the beard. It was just like a oh, an think, extra appendage. Freestanding string coffee through it, of course. Oh, see, I, I imagine he's wrapped the tip of his beard into a very very tight point. Uh, then he dips it in ink and then it becomes a quill. Oh, you you think he actually wrote it with a quill? I imagine him at an actual typewriter, like not a computer, but like a <laughs> one of the old timey typewriters. I think maybe he had two typewriters, one for each hand. He wrote jokes simultaneously. And so he has so many. <laughs> baseball fans, BetMGM is giving you the chance to win a prize every day during the baseball season. Step into the batter's box for BetMGM Swing for the Fences free-to-play game. Pick any area of the strike zone and take your best swing. If you get a single, double, triple, or home run, you'll receive a prize. Smash a home run to collect a bonus bet on us. Just log into your BetMGM Sports account to get started. Then visit your promotion section to access the Swing for the Fences free-to-play game. You'll score a prize if you hit a single, double, triple, or home run. There's nothing more exciting than going yard. So swing for the fences with the king of sportsbooks. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. Must be 21 plus and present in Ohio. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards vary depending on the market and expire 24 hours from issuance. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER and partnership with MGM Northfield Park.